0: Now Streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready.
1: Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina.
0: For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls made it PT 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.
1: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome. Of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And congratulations are due to trainer Bob Baffert, who became the first seven time Kentucky Derby winning trainer on Saturday. But talking about a different sport this week uh the reason i talk about that is because the horse that attracted the attention of the boxing world for a while uh, with regard to the derby was a three year old cult called king fury so much so that his namesake tyson stood poised to attend the race and cheer him on but then well after a lot of hype about king fury racing he pulled out at the last minute and instead of the derby will now race elsewhere Once that news came out, all the hype dissipated, and you have to hope that the symbolism surrounding that remains just that, purely symbolic. There's surely nothing ominous about this turn of events. Is there a much-hyped event involving a fury who ends up not participating? It's just nothing to worry about here, right? No. No, of course, nothing at all. Um, It seems you're alluding
0: to a certain situation involving the top two heavyweights in the world, a situation that we'll discuss when we get to the news segment. Uh, But as far as the horse goes, according to my unnamed sources, and my unnamed sources are never wrong, King Fury has already announced his retirement from racing and has gained 150 pounds and is recording lots of shirtless Instagram videos. Now, what what we really needed was them thinking the horse couldn't race because it had a fever. And then we get the Undertaker meme of the horse rising and uh. making its way to the starting gate. <laughs> so many ways to go with this, Kieran. Uh, King Fury was at the starting gate calling all the other horses dossers. The possibilities right. are
1: endless. Right. One of the horses that came last was upset because the jockey was too heavy or something, and he just was never able to really fully focus (laughs) because of the weight of carrying the jockey into the stalls or something like that. I mean,
0: Yes, trying to think of a horse name that plays on Bronze Bomber. I uh, don't have (laughs) it at the tip of my tongue, but
1: yeah. anyway there you go we're hilarious all right um (laughs) you can tell with all of this conversation that we just haven't had enough boxing to keep us entertained um but fortunately we have entered the month of may and so the boxing action is set to pick up after a somewhat slow april Uh, this week on the podcast we will preview canelo alvarez's fight with billy joe saunders uh and we'll also talk about canelo's sudden turn toward uh explosive interviews really embracing the heel canelo (laughs) persona that our friend Rafe has been pushing for so long uh we will break down this past weekend's heavyweight action that included wins for andy ruiz jr and joseph parker Uh, we will talk about news involving some of the biggest names in the sport even though in a sign of the present boxing times, they are all names that we thought were retired. Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson, and Lennox Lewis are among those dominating the boxing news this week in 2021. So there you go. <laughs> uh, and I will close out the show uh, with the easiest of the top five assignments that uh, either of us has given the other yet. I'm be counting down the top five fights I'm looking forward to the most on the recently announced Showtime schedule. And speaking of that schedule... We don't just throw this show together, you know. It's all meticulously planned. We started (laughs) off by welcoming one of the headliners on the very first card of that loaded slate. Uh, He is one half of the main event of the first fight on that schedule on May 15th. Uh, It's a fascinating clash between Luis Neri and Brandon Figueroa. The half of that main event who joins us right now is 21-0-1 with 16 KOs. We most recently saw him stopping Damian Vasquez in 10 rounds. It is Brandon the heartbreaker, Figueroa. Brandon, thank you very much for joining the Showtime Boxing Podcast.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
0: So uh, congratulations, of course, on, on securing this unification bout with Luis Neri. It feels as if you two have been talked about as possible opponents from the moment he moved up from 118 pounds. Have you been studying him for, for months already? And what's the biggest risk he poses, in your view?
2: Um, yeah, you know, we we I've watched him fight. I've seen him fight a couple of times live. I mean, he's a great fighter at 118. But I feel like in the uh pounds division, it's a, it's a story. He's a good, sick fighter. He moves pretty well. So you know, we have to outwork him and work the body. And um, yeah, you know, just outwork him and outland him and just keep throwing punches and work the body.
0: Okay, and. and- you know, this is certainly a, a real big fight for you, may, maybe the biggest of your career. What's your excitement level like for this? Is training camp any different than, than for your other fights?
2: Yes, of course. You know, I'm very excited. It's a big fight, probably the biggest of my career. And, yeah, you know, we were doing camp uh, back at home, but now we moved uh, to India where my brother was working with Joe Diaz mm-hmm. and, you know, to get better sparring, better work, and, my condition is amazing and and you know, the work here with Joe Diaz his the, the fighters he has here is on the you know, it really helped me out <clears throat> with my with my game plan and, you know, with my work. And yeah, you know, I feel like I'm gonna surprise a lot of people. Um I'm just getting older, I'm getting stronger and definitely, you know, getting that experience that, you know, I haven't gotten before and and um what better way than to, you know, fight Louis and uh, he represents Mexico, uh, which is my country, too, which is my bloodline. And, and I think like beating him would really put me up there with, uh, with the greats. And, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait. You know, it's like Barrera, Morales, Marquez, you know, all those great writers. And, you know, I just can't wait to get in the ring and, and put on a show.
1: Yeah, You mentioned some of the great 122 pounders and that division is on fire right now. Um, As well as you and Neri, Mm -hmm. there's Danny Roman and he's going to be fighting on your card. Uh, Ray Salim, Muradjan Akmedaliev and the man that you will face in September if you beat Neri, uh, cool boy Steph Fulton. Uh, Given what's potentially at stake for you, does this feel to you as if 2021 could be the year where you really blow up?
2: Yes, you know, I feel like you know, fighting these great fighters, the champions, who really put me on another level. Uh, I mean, I feel like it's time. I'm 24, and yeah, you know, I rise up the ranks, I became a champion, and now it's time to unify, and you know, fight these great fighters, uh, put on a show. I feel like, you know, I feel like the, it's more experience for me. I become a better fighter, and I become a different fighter once I face these guys. That I want to go ahead and, and get in the ring with these guys. I know you guys are going to, you know, bring it as well. So. You know, I definitely can't wait to fight to fight Nedry and if everything goes as planned then, you know, Stephen Fulton is next. But as of right now, I love the I feel like everyone loves the hundred and twenty two pound division. I feel like it's one of the most exciting divisions right now. And, you know, I feel like the fights that are happening are gonna be even better. And, you know, it's just a moment of time until, you know, the best of the best fight each other at the hundred and twenty two pound division. Yeah. Uh, and, and
0: you know there's a lot of excitement in the division as you were just saying and you particularly have a reputation as an action fighter someone who throws a lot of punches and has tremendous stamina uh, would you agree that that's your biggest strength the conditioning and offensive output or, or would you say there's something else that you put above that as as your your top quality your top strength
2: oh yes of course you know on my working' my working who through this open ring you know I cannot land out work. Almost anyone, you know, a lot of fighters that I face may have great talent, but, you know, in the gym, I feel that it's work or talent to win window, it's all about work and and just work, you know, just hard work, dedication, and the love I have for the sport. And I feel prepared for a fight no matter who you face. If someone goes out there and outworks you, no matter how talented you're going to get out of work regardless. So I feel like the work has to be put in the gym, and I feel like I do a great job with that. And especially my stamina, my conditioning, my punch output. You know the the I know the goal of, of boxing is to hit and not get hit, but you know also you, it it could throw a lot of punches. You know you want to hit your opponent, and what better not weigh than to throw 100, 200, 300 punches? Uh, you know I've seen a lot of fighters. I've seen a lot of fighters in the division, and I feel like no one comes close to to doing the punch output that I throw. And I feel like that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a champion, you know, and all that reflects on my hard work at the gym. And, you know, I, I do have talent. I do have uh, things that I've been tweaking and working on, you know, to, to, you know, bring something extra to the ring. I just, you know, punch output. And, you know, I, I want to have ring IQ. I want to box. I can draw, lefty, righty. I can throw punches from my ankles. So, you know, it's a, a combination of, of everything that you know, that makes me a fighter and makes me a boxer. So, I just want to bring everything, all that, in, into the ring and make sure that, you know, people notice me and, you know, I'll definitely just keep winning fights, keep unifying and be one of the greats. Mm.
1: Is, is there anybody that you do sort of model that style on? Were there any fighters that you really enjoyed growing up thinking, you know, that you took little bits from and maybe other fighters now still that you enjoy watching who you like to take little bits and pieces from?
2: Yeah, I mean, growing up, I didn't really watch a lot of boxing, um, Mostly because we didn't have TV to watch uh, uh, boxers. You know, as I was growing up, that's when I, that's when we started uh, watching. I started watching a little bit more more boxing, but yeah, you know, I pick up a, a few things here and there, just to tweak my 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 game plan, my, my strategy, and and you know, my 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 fighting skills. You know, I try to take a little bit of out of everyone's game time and you know, just implement mine. Not really changing my style, but you know, adding more into myself to make it even better. Oh. Um, definitely, you know, I just, love, I just love boxing. I love boxing regardless. I love fights. I love that ring IQ that some fighters have. is just amazing. And, you know, I just want to bring it all into one and have sort of, uh, you know, enjoyable to watch. You know, that's what people want to see. Someone right. like a box bra, lefty, righty. Body shots, you know, I I bring all that to to Green, and I feel like that's what makes me an Asian
0: fighter. Right. Um, So, so two fights ago, uh, you faced Julio Seja, who weighed in way above the weight limit. Um, You went ahead with the fight anyway, uh, and after a good start, you got dragged into a real brawl with a a clever veteran, and officially you were held to a draw. What lessons did you learn from that?
2: You know, definitely cannot take a fight uh, of a guy that's division is than you but you know <laughs> me and my team we, we you know we didn't really have a great training camp to begin with also you know just with injury that's what a lot of people don't know um, he came over the way but I still fight. you know I, I, I felt like it was going to be a learning experience I had him to take him out in the first round but uh, I just wasn't really well prepared really battle you know tested because I couldn't uh, you know I had injuries during training camp. but you know that's what Mexicans are you know we just go in there we fight and, and you know, I feel like that made me a stronger fighter. I feel like if he couldn't take me out, if he couldn't even do enough to beat me when I didn't go at, at 100%, I didn't think I wasn't even 60% ready mm-hmm. for that fight, but I still took it, you know. I, you know, at the end of the day, I took, I took a lot from the fight, and, you know, we're not taking any chances now, you know. Uh, I know I'm a great fighter. I know I'm a resilient fighter. I know I have heart. you know, I have tenacity and all that, but in the sport of boxing, you know, I have to, we have to be a little bit more careful. Uh, mm. You know, have to take care of myself, my body, and my health. But you know, definitely did learn a lot. It made me tougher, and definitely, you know, made me made me a lot stronger. You know, made me a very, very strong mentally and physically. And I feel like coming forward to you know the next fight, I feel even even more. I believe in myself. You know, even more because I feel like it couldn't even do do much to me, and that's because I didn't go at 100 percent.
1: Right. So so you fought four times in 2019, but for obvious reasons, you were only able to fight once in 2020. How difficult has it been to stay in shape, stay in training, and stay ready during COVID?
2: Yeah, you know, thank God I have a, a gym uh, in my city, so I was willing to go in and out of the gym. But yeah, it's very tough, you know, because I didn't have a fight lined up. I didn't want to overwork my body. And at the same time, I wanted to stay ready, so... The opportunity came to in November, and, you know, I fought a the basket, and ever since then, you know, I've been staying, staying consistent, staying ready, and, you know, now we're here, you know, almost three weeks away from the biggest fight of my life, and I'm in great shape. You know, the, the training has been put, uh, the work has been put, and that was just a moment of time until, you know, the lights, camera, and, you know, action to start mm. fighting.
1: And, of course, you'll be able to fight in front of fans, which very many fighters haven't been able to, and, th- and that's got to be good, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, you know, that's probably one of the most exciting things that, you know, that makes a fighter a fighter. You know, you you want to entertain the fans, you know, the, the atmosphere, the adrenaline, the people cheering for you. You know, it's just a, a, a surreal feeling. I feel that I would, that's what makes boxing. Boxing, mm. you know, is the fans, the atmosphere, you know, the crowd, the, you know, just everything that, that, that makes boxing, I feel like is just beautiful, so... Uh I just feel like having fans, you know, is it, really gonna bring the firefight in both fighters. It's gonna make both of us, you know, wanna wanna, you know, impress and wanna entertain the people and just bring that a little little extra oomph that, you know, is gonna make a great fight.
0: Uh so last thing, as Kieran said when he introduced you, he uh, dropped your nickname in there, the Heartbreaker. Uh you're a good looking guy. Is that a is that a double edged sword? Like, you know, presumably it doesn't hurt when it comes to attracting a following, but at the same time, do you sometimes feel compelled to dig your toes into the canvas and fight rather than box to to prove you're not just a pretty boy?
2: No, I mean that's been my fighting style since I was seven years old, you know. It's something that my father has implemented in me since I was a, at a very young age. You know, I love the firefights. I love to get hit. I feel like I love that everything, I love to bleed, I love to get cut, you know, I feel like <laughs> it's, it's what makes a boxer, a boxer, you know, you, you, you got to love everything that comes with boxing, you know, uh, if you don't like it, then I don't know, I don't know why you're in boxing, you know, because you're going to get, regardless, you're going to get cut eventually, and if you don't enjoy it, then, I mean, it's it's your job, it's your career, but at the same time, you always, you know, you're trying to prevent that, but just in case that happens, you know, you've got to accept upset the fact that you're cut or that, that you're going into a fight not 100% but you know, that's the one makes keep boxing boxing and I feel like that's what a lot of people nowadays really lost track and I feel like my dad implemented me that Mexican warrior style and uh, that's why I'm so resilient in the ring and, and that's why you know I've, I get to lose so I know Neri's going to come at 100% even if he's Mexican uh, he's going to come to fight so that's what I want you know I want like that I want fighters that come to fight and uh, I feel like May 15th, you guys will see a great, uh, a great, great, tremendous fight. And I just can't wait. I really can't wait for myself. You know, I just, I know y'all are excited, but it's, I feel like it's so excited. I'm even more excited you know, to be a part of that. <laughs> and just to showcase my talent and my skills in the game. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there are plenty of people already looking forward to this fight. And after listening to you, I think they'll be even more excited. Um, thank you very much <laughs> for taking some time to talk to us. I no, uh, really fair. appreciate it. Should be a great fight and all the best on, on May the fifteenth. Thanks so very much, Brandon.
2: No, thank you. Thank you guys for the opportunity and for all my fans, hopefully I'll tune in. Uh, it's gonna be a tremendous fight and I'm gonna to 'em I'm gonna give them my arm and leave everything in the ring. So as uh, you got, you guys can see from my previous fight, I leave everything in the ring. And you know it just depends on him, on my dancing partner, and that's it. You know we're gonna make a great fight, and without willing. I'm training, you know, really, really hard so I can come out with a with the win and take that WBC belt home. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.
0: Okay, our thanks again to Brandon. Uh, I'm not sure which part of that was less relatable for me. Him saying he grew up without a television, or him saying... <laughs> I love to bleed. I love to get cut. That's why he grew up to be a fighter, and I grew up to be a guy who watches fights and talks about (laughs) fights. Uh, Speaking of which, we had some fights to watch last weekend. Let's talk about them. The two most significant cards of the weekend both had heavyweight main events and a connection as the two winners, Andy Ruiz and Joseph Parker, both top 10 contenders in any reasonable set of rankings currently fought each other back in 2016, and for a while, Parker was the only fighter to be able to claim to have hung a pro loss on Ruiz. On Saturday night, a relatively slimmed-down Ruiz, weighing 256 pounds, took on Chris Ariola as a massive favorite atop a Fox pay-per-view in Carson, California, and Ruiz got knocked down in round two and wobbled again in round three before battling back and pulling away for a wide unanimous decision by scores of 118-109, 118-109, and 117-110. It was a two-way action fight in the first half, a one-sided boxing match in the second half, especially after Ariola seemed to suffer a shoulder injury. Uh, earlier Saturday, in Manchester, England, and on DAZN, Parker overcame an early knockdown of his own, Derek Chisora dropping him with a right hand to the side of the head just 10 seconds into the fight. But the likable big man from New Zealand, trained by the equally likable Andy Lee, <laughs> came back against an increasingly tired and heavy-breathing Chisora to win a split decision. One judge favored Chisora, 115-113. The other two favored Parker by scores of 115-113 and 116-111. So the favorites won, but both in fights that were more difficult than expected. Kieran, did any of the four heavyweights in action stock go up on Saturday? Was there a big winner of the weekend among the four, in your view. Let me know who impressed you most, if anyone, and any other thoughts on these victories for Ruiz and Parker.
1: I think, in some ways, the biggest winner and the heavyweight whose stock may have increased the most was actually Alexander Usyk, um, mm. you know, because he looked sort of vulnerable and overwhelmed at times when he fought Derek Chisora, especially early on, um, before coming through to take that clear points win. And And that fight and that result caused, I think, the emergence of a fair few doubters. I was one of them, actually. You were not, to your credit, as to whether this suggested that Usyk just simply wasn't big enough to, you know, necessarily hang at at the top level. But, you know, watching Chisora Parker and watching Joseph Parker, who's a big, solid heavyweight, Mm -hmm. having to basically go through the ringer the way that Usyk did, especially in those first four rounds, um, before trying to suck it up and and then just box his way to to victory – you know, it's not dissimilar at all uh, right. and to what happened with Usyk against him. And I think it's just a reminder that just sort of just, my goodness me, what a nightmare he must be to fight. I mean, he's a big, strong man who fights like a big, strong man. And um he's clearly, you know, he's going to gas out after round four, at least until he suddenly finds a second win in round 11 or 12, which he's now done like a couple of fights in a row. Um, But God, he's going to give you hell during that time. He's just going to throw everything at you while, while he has the gas to do it. Um, But yeah, I think actually on one level, the two official losers maybe came away with their stock a little bit higher at the end of the weekend, um, whereas the winners, I think maybe not so much. Uh, I have no problem with Joseph Parker winning that fight. I did actually have it one fourteen, one thirteen for Chisora. Hmm. I thought that Chisora pulled it out with the twelfth round, but fifteen thirteen Parker is perfectly fine. But it was a it was a tough it was a tough fight, and I think given their respective pedigrees, you might have expected Parker to emerge as a little bit more comfortable winner. I think that 12th round made a lot of difference in terms of the perception of that, that win. You know, I think if Parker had been able to do in the 12th round, what he'd done in the 11th and he'd done in quite a few of the rounds preceding that, or even if he'd followed up when he appeared to have just sort of hurt in the 12th, whether he'd done something else other than back away and allowed just to get that kind of initiative, then it might've appeared to be a little bit more comfortable of a win than perhaps it did ultimately there for Parker. Um, it does feel a little bit to me as if Parker, much as we both love him and much as we both love Andy Lee, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like he might have stalled a bit. He might, we might have seen the best of Parker, I think. I don't think he's had a particularly impressive win since earning fights with Joshua and White and losing them both back to back. I agree with you with what you're saying that, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, he's clearly in the top 10 in the heavyweights. But I don't think you look at Joseph Parker anymore and think he's any kind of real threat to anthony joshua or, or or tyson fury um or necessarily even dillian white to be honest at this point um he's in there he's in that mix but his moment has gone i i think a little bit there um and i also i also came away almost almost feeling the same and this is perhaps more unfair about andy ruiz i mean i thought that this was a real we joked last week about Andy Ruiz's heavyweight rankings that had him at number three right and 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 Ariola at number five but it was a real opportunity for Ruiz to say look I clearly am the number three heavyweight here and I don't think he did that um you know there was a lot you talked about this already a lot made of the fact he was 30 or so pounds lighter for this than he was for the AJ rematch that he'd been working with Canelo that this was a renewed revitalized rededicated Andy Ruiz I'm not sure how much of that was truly evident. I I I thought the scores were a bit wide, even though I thought that Ruiz clearly won. Um but it was Chris Ariola we're talking about, and like you said, there was a substantial difference once Ariola actually got injured. Um yeah. you know, and this is Ariola's a guy who, you know, is a very good fighter, but one who's never really been able to truly make the jump to world class and is now what, like forty years old. Um, granted, he's been he looks revitalized into Joe Goosen, it could be that we're seeing the areola we'd long hoped to see um, and, and never did. But I don't know. I feel like both Parker and Ruiz would have been looking to position themselves in that chasing pack and, and really position themselves strongly. I don't think they either of them did that. Honestly, the most obvious fight coming out of the weekend, arguably, is a rematch of both of them. I, I thought that Ruiz was sufficiently comfortable a winner in the end um, that, you know, he could probably get away with not having to do that. But I, I'm not sure that either man really advanced their case the extent they would have hoped to going into the weekend's fights.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I I just don't know how much Ruiz's weight matters. It's certainly, yeah. obviously, it's better if he looks like he's trained hard. The weight and the body type he brought into the rematch with AJ obviously not, not not ideal. That That's too much. But, you know, the best night of his career when he beat Anthony Joshua, he still was overweight and not looking great. And right. it, I just don't know how much it matters to him, whether he's up or down a, a few pounds. You want to see him training hard, but uh the the fact that he struggled with Ariola uh, to the extent that he did uh yeah I, it's just it's hard to come away feeling like Andy ruiz is all the way back on track and ready to make another push for the very top of the division
1: yeah indeed um both undercards were actually loaded with varying degrees of notable fights and fighters uh nothing that demands our attention but it's always touching on uh let's start with that ruiz areola card i had three notable stoppage finishes uh undefeated 154 pounder sebastian in the towering Inferno Fondora, who we've seen on Showtime, uh, went to war with Jorge Coda and won by a controversial stoppage in the fourth round. Um, given that you have occasionally been known to express mild opinions about referee stoppages, <laughs> I am curious for your take on that. Uh, in a welterweight bout, Abel uh, Ramos uh, defeated our guest, Brandon Figueroa's older brother, Omar, uh, handing him his second official loss. It was stopped in the corner after round six with Omar spitting up blood, um, not a, not a, uh, pleasant scene there at all uh those fights were on the pay-per-view while on free fox beforehand uh, veteran middleweight Erislandi lara needed just 80 seconds to flatten hopelessly overmatched thomas cornflake lamana and i'm not gonna even touch that nickname after that fight uh, <laughs> with a single straight left hand any thoughts on any or all of those well when it comes to having a chin
0: lamana is no lamada that's clear. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, nice shot by Lara. Uh, he's obviously still a dangerous middleweight contender at age 38, but this was a serious mismatch. LaMana didn't belong in the ring with Arislandi Lara. As for Figueroa, do you think it's safe? Do you think if Brandon Figueroa tuned in to listen back to his interview, has he, has he turned off the podcast by now? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to assume so. Uh, look, you, you know, I've been critical of Omar for a long time. It's been almost a full decade now that I've been saying very fun fighter makes good action, but he was overrated as a prospect and wasn't committed enough. Didn't show up in the best possible shape. Most of the time now he's 31 years old and it appeared he got in great shape for this fight, but it's just too late for him. I think Mm. Um, I hope he's okay after that scary pounding he took, especially to the body. But look, Brandon is clearly the future of the fighting Figueroa family. I don't see much upside in this sport at this point for Omar. A very good win for Abel Ramos, though. Um, and lastly, the fundora Coda stoppage. It was a proper thought from referee Ray Corona, but poorly timed, coming mm. right as Coda landed a clean shot. And that's a little unlucky for Corona. He'd already made up his mind to step in before that punch was thrown. I don't hate the stoppage. Coda was taking a lot of shots. He'd had some success early but Fundora seemed to have fully taken over and coda wasn't punching back much uh, until that one as the ref mm-hmm. stepped in. You can never say for sure, but I think this was the ending we were headed for in the next few seconds anyway. Mm-hmm. coda is within his rights to complain, but... I don't view it as a miscarriage of justice or anything. Mm. I do have some concern that Fandora isn't going to stay unbeaten much longer. Uh, he, he already has a draw on his record against Jamonte Clark, so it's not like I'm saying anything all that bold. But I'm thinking over under about three more fights before someone takes his O from the look of things. Mm. Uh, so those are all the notable stoppages on the Ruiz Areola undercard. The Parker Chisora undercard, meanwhile, was stocked with closer than expected distance fights. Women's lightweight champ Katie Taylor moved to 18-0 by eking one out over amateur rival Natasha Jonas in a tremendous fight. Scores were 96-95, 96-95, and 96-94. Light heavyweight belt holder Dimitri Bivol appeared on paper to have an easy defense against London's Craig Richards, but Bivol had his hands full, and Richards came on late to make it close on two of the three cards. Scores were 115-113, 115-114, and a lopsided 118-110. And Chris Eubank Jr. didn't have to sweat out the reading of the scorecards like Taylor did and Bivol did, but... He, too, was taken the distance by lightly regarded Marcus Morrison winning a 10-round decision by three identical scores of 98-92. I'll quickly note also, as long as we're talking about distance fights in British rings, on Friday ESPN Plus carried a card from York Hall. Michael Conlan stayed undefeated with a majority decision over Ionut Baluta. And in an upset, Sonny Edwards ended the long flyweight alphabet title reign of Maruti Amtalane by unanimous decision. Uh, pick and choose, Kieran, any fights or scores you want to comment on?
1: First of all, what is the deal with British judges in their 10-10 rounds? <laughs>
0: Hmm. Yeah, I know. I've it I've heard be- I've heard better impressions. Have you Harry heard worse. No. Uh, I'll no. get back to you. <laughs> I'll scour the internet for bad Jerry impressions. Uh, Maybe I'll find something. I'm worse. sure there.
1: Are, I'm sure there are plenty out there. Um, yeah. So if I if I figure it out correctly, so the two one fifteen, one thirteens, either way on the Parkesaurus card, I mean that given that there was that very early knockdown, there hats to have been. Each of those judges had to have scored a 10-10 unless they didn't score the first round as a 10-8, which they should have done. Right. Um, and the same with the two 96-95 cards with Taylor Jonas. So, mm. um, you know, it's interesting. I don't actually necessarily hate that, right? Like, much as I generally regard 10-10s as a bit of a cop-out, I – I'm still be I'd be perfectly happy to see judges given greater latitude to score very close rounds 10-10 and then quite wide rounds that don't have knockdowns 10 you know yeah. rather than an adherence to the 10 line. we you and I have talked about this before so I mean it's weird that is this that there would be such a concentration of 10 10 rounds on one card? Um, but I don't know, maybe the British uh a board is giving its judges greater uh latitude to do that. I, I don't know. Um, but that that sort of leapt out at me. Um, I personally scored Taylor Jonas 96 94 for Katie Taylor. I thought that you know Jonas just took too long to get her timing right, um, and she was left with a bit of a hole to dig out of after about the first three or four rounds. But then I actually thought she was on her way to doing that. I had it even after eight. Uh, but then I thought Taylor just, you know, showed her experience, her now, her skill um, to, to, to take it over those final two rounds. Uh, but that was a very, very good quality fight um, between f- former Olympic rivals. Um, and the other one I wanted to just note, huge congratulations to Sonny Edwards. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many people predicted that outcome, um, but not only did he beat uh, Thalene, he, he'd gone unbeaten since Nonito Donaire stopped him in 2008. Wow. Uh, he not only beat him, he thoroughly outboxed him. Yeah. And now uh, he and his brother Charlie have won Alphabet titles at 112, although Charlie, I believe, has moved up to 115. Oh, and the one other one that I wanted to just touch on is a fighter who I just... is a continued frustration to me, and that's Dimitri Bivol. I, I, I keep wanting and expecting him to really make a statement. I think I've been waiting for him to have that defining win and performance performance more than win i mm-hmm. think for several years and he just doesn't do it he just man some guys like really like to make the most of what they have and and, and really absolutely demonstrate what they have like a guy like terence crawford can be winning a fight 10 rounds to nothing and he still wants to go out there and score a knockout right Dimitri Bivol is eight rounds to nothing up, and he decides to stop fighting for four rounds. And he does this fairly consistently. It's just, he might be just one of these guys who isn't like a natural fighter, but just happens to be quite good at boxing. And so that's what he does. But just, you know, there's just that fire missing in the ring with Dimitri Bivol, which I find disappointing because I find him a likable man. I enjoyed interviewing him when he was on HBO. And he's clearly skilled and he's got good wins. But... You, he's just not given us that performance that, you know, you want him to make the case for why he should be fighting Arta Betabyev, and he's not doing it, right. I think. Yeah, agreed. All right. Uh, where else are we? All right, let's look ahead. Um, there's only really one fight of note next week, but it's a pretty big one. Uh, the biggest star in North American boxing, maybe actually in all of global boxing, uh, Canelo Alvarez steps into the ring for his second fight already of 2021. On paper, this is a much tougher one than his three-round wipeout of Avni Yildirim in February as he takes on undefeated Southpaw two-division title holder Billy Joe Saunders to unify 168-pound belts. The fight will take place in front of fans at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Lots of fans, possibly up to 70,000 fans. And judging, by the way, the fans at Ruiz Ariola, <laughs> I think there's nothing to worry about there. The um, Zone will stream the card. Uh, Interestingly, it will also be available on certain platforms as a standalone pay-per-view for about $70 for those of you who are bad at math and want to pay for that rather than zone subscriptions. Uh, The promoters didn't put very much on the undercard. There's a junior flyweight title fight between Elwin Soto and Katsunari Takayama as the chief support. Um, So there's nothing really that Eric and I need to preview for next weekend, except canelo sanders so let's do that uh canelo is the favorite we've both moved him out to number one on our pound for pound lists in recent months uh he's 30 years old and it feels like we say this every time with canelo he's fighting better than ever yeah um what are the odds makers saying about sanders's chances of of pulling the upset and what do you think is he actually a live dog because of his tricky southpaw style or the way that canelo is going that trajectory that is he's on is he just too darn good right now for that style matchup to matter much
0: so according to the odds makers, Saunders is a pretty big underdog here, but not a totally off the charts dog. I think it's about what you'd expect. Um, I'm seeing between plus 400, 4 to 1, and plus 470, 4.7 to 1. Uh, Canelo, meanwhile, is between minus 550, risk $550 to win 100, uh, and as high as minus 750, risk $750 to win 100. To me... It feels about right. Um, if I, as a relatively level headed boxing better, don't see much value on either side, that means the odds makers are doing their job. Um, mm-hmm. at that lowest price on Canelo, minus five fifty, maybe there's a little value there because I am, I don't know, about ninety percent confident Canelo wins this fight. I think the notion of Saunders as some exceptionally slick boxer is a little overstated. He's slick. But I feel like a lot of his reputation is built on how easily he outboxed David Lemieux, yep, which was a great performance, but it's Lemieux. He's a slow one-dimensional puncher. His weaknesses played perfectly into Saunders' strengths. Again, great win, but Canelo is nothing like Lemieux. We've also seen Saunders struggle with opponents well below Canelo's level, like Chris Eubank Jr., like our buddy Andy Lee, like Marcelo Cosseres. Saunders is slick and crafty and has good defense but i think canelo is just as slick just as crafty and has the better defense of the two and he can hit much harder he has a far wider array of offensive weapons he goes to the body he can counter punch i think the canelo of five six years ago who was an excellent fighter but was still learning to put it all together and finding himself in very close fights with slick guys like lara and trout saunders would have a chance against that guy but current canelo no, yeah. i i don't think saunders has a chance so while i probably won't bet either side straight up i would definitely sooner bet canelo at minus 550 than saunders at plus 470. Hmm. Uh, What do you think Kieran? how do you see it? I'm looking at other odds besides just straight up winner bets and the odds makers have a distance fight as a slight favorite over this ending inside 12 rounds. Do you think it's more likely than not that Saunders can take Canelo the full 12 rounds? And in contrast with Callum Smith, do you favor him to win any rounds along the way?
1: Um, Yeah, I do actually think it's probably more likely than not that he'll go the 12 Saunders. Um, Mm You know, there's, there's a lot to dislike about Billy Joe Saunders. Um, but while his boxing style is rarely aesthetically pleasing, it can be quite effective. It's, and it's, it's difficult to fight against. He doesn't give you a lot of clean opportunities. He's difficult to time. He's awkward defensively, and he's efficient um, without being exceptional on offense. Uh, it's funny, I made very similar notes to you here. Um, that I, I made the note that at that time that he beat David Lemieux, that evening, I honestly thought he might be stylistically the most difficult of the major opponents out there for Canelo. But remarkably, that was already three and a half years ago. God, how did that happen? But, <laughs> um, and Sanders hasn't looked remotely as good since. And I don't think he ever looked as good before, to be honest with you. Right. Um, you know, I, I did an interview that fight week. And I said something to the effect of, yeah, I don't think Billy Joe Sanders is remotely as good as he thinks he is. And after Sanders then turned in his career best performance, I had a lot of UK boxing trolls, of course, trying to give me a hard time by that. <laughs> but I think time has, has actually, you know, justified that that statement. But right. um but yeah, but the point is why I thought particularly at that time he might be difficult is we all kind of knew that if there were a a weakness to Canelo. Um, it was his ability to, to to work against some of these fleet-footed, awkward guys. You know, I mean, he, he beat Sandy Lara, but it was close and a bit controversial. He beat Austin Trout, but it was fairly close. I didn't think it was controversial, but it was close nonetheless. Right. Um, and you figure, well, oh, if those guys could do that, Saunders could just be like that guy to give him a hard time. But as you've noted, the Canelo of 2021 is vastly superior to even the Canelo of 2017, I yeah. think. he He just... You know, he's at a very comfortable weight class for him. You know, all that time that he was at 154 and he was saying, oh, I'm not ready to fight Golovkin yet because I'm not a real middleweight when he was – nonsense um but it's even more so now he's clearly very comfortable at 68 and you just look at him man i mean he's a solid dude look at his legs he just doesn't have like boxer legs and that's part of the way he's able to get such fantastic torque now um he's always been an intelligent boxer canelo and i think you could argue that Either he's even more so now or he's just been able to add so many things because of his experience um, that he he's just there's very little that's going to be able to, you know, cause him uh, uh, difficulties or he's going to have to try to struggle to figure out there in the ring. And for all that Saunders is loud and boorish, I suspect there's an undercurrent of self-doubt there. You know, he, he would bleat in the past about wanting to face Golovkin and then when the opportunity came really close he'd sort of back away from it and say oh I'm not ready or so on and so forth and so far in the build up he's been saying things yeah about how like this means everything to him but he's also complaining about the fact that his promoter, Eddie Hearn, and his mind is paying more attention to Canelo than he is to him. Mm. And if you're saying that kind of stuff during the build-up to the biggest fight of your career, I don't think that's a good sign. I don't think that's a sign that you're feeling tremendously confident um, and that necessarily you're, you're you're very focused on yourself. You're letting yourself be a bit distracted. But he is strong, Saunders. He's, he is himself fairly smart in the ring. Um, he is awkward. I wouldn't be surprised if Canelo seems to... Uh, He's always been uh, a very methodical boxer, Canelo, but I think even more as he grows confident in himself, he's happy to do the Floyd Mayweather thing of taking three rounds. Right. Uh, sometimes to size an opponent up. It doesn't matter if he loses those three rounds because he's fully aware that it's a 12-round fight. I wouldn't be surprised if Saunders has his moments in those first few rounds until Canelo kind of gets into his groove and gets his timing right. But though I fully expect him to to reel him in and just just have far too many tools, I think Saunders will just lose, will just not have answers for him down the stretch. And Canelo would, would just have far too much in terms of offense. And I think Saunders may be surprised at how good canelo's defense is as well so i fully expect this to be about a 17 11 kind of unanimous decision with basically saunders not really winning very much after about round four at all um but there has already been an upset in a sense uh even though the fight hasn't even started yet as it's canelo not saunders who's actually been getting a bit of attention for flapping the old gums there and making a few bold statements in an interview with graham bensinger canelo actually speaking English at times, uh, covered a variety of topics. He revealed, which I don't think had gotten out at all, that he got COVID about six weeks before the Yildirim fight. Um, He stated that Prime versus Prime, he would knock Floyd Mayweather out. And he also said that Mayweather wouldn't have gone anywhere near him, Prime versus Prime. And he said of his former promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, quote, he doesn't do anything in Golden Boy. He's worried about drinking and being involved in other things. The decisions are made by other people. Ouch um meanwhile Saunders, apart from occasionally complaining about eddie hearn is keeping fairly quiet in the build-up to the fight he's not doing any media so any thoughts about this suddenly outspoken canelo and does anything he said catch you by surprise at all so we've always sort of heard and
0: known that canelo has a big ego um he seems (laughs) to have a soft side but he also clearly has an i'm the boss i'm the star i'm the man side but he didn't really usually let it out in what he said, especially when talking English, because his English was so limited. He would say stuff like, I was born ready and Golovkin, you are next. And that's about it. Um, As his English has come along and as he's risen to the top of pound for poundless and his ego naturally gets bigger, I guess it makes sense for him to speak his mind more, especially at this point where he's pretty untouchable. He holds all Mm. the cards. It's not like... If he comes off as an asshole, the networks aren't going to want to air his fights. He's pretty Uh safe. So him talking the way he did in that interview, it didn't totally catch me off guard. Uh, I don't think he said anything about Oscar that everyone in boxing didn't already know. Um, Mm. Oscar is the face of Golden Boy. He's never been the guy running the day to day. I was told that a dozen years ago by people at the ring who technically Mm. worked for him. I feel a little bad, like Canelo is kicking Oscar while he's down, but, you know, bad blood developed there. He felt like Oscar didn't do right by him. He bolted. Not shocking that he would talk some trash about Oscar. The interesting thing to analyze is him now insisting that Prime versus Prime, he'd knock out Floyd. (laughs) He can say it because it's one of those things nobody will ever be able to prove is false, Um, but it's kind of meaningless. Canelo's prime is now at 160 and 168 pounds. Mayweather's prime was at 130. Um, If you want to say Mayweather was close enough to his prime at welterweight, fine. But that's still three weight divisions below current Canelo. It's just not a valid comparison. And of course, nobody else ever knocked Floyd out or even came all that close. I think it's a fine thing to say in terms of trying to get attention and promote your fight. I wonder if Canelo actually believes it. Maybe he does. But if so, he's picturing himself knocking out a guy about 20 pounds smaller than he is. Um, <laughs> in any case, the better he gets at speaking English and the more outspoken he gets, the more interested I am in having him on the Showtime Boxing Podcast when he <laughs> inevitably comes over to our
1: side of the street. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I probably talked about this before, but I always enjoyed um, – interviewing Canelo in, and I actually appreciated the fact that he didn't speak English because he, I mean, he understood English perfectly well. Mm-hmm. He just didn't want to speak it until he felt comfortable saying it well. Right. Um, and it was often a lot easier to do that than with some fighters who would try to answer in English and you're like, what the f- hell did they just say um but he always had and i think i've mentioned this before there was always uh an extraordinarily composed confidence about mm-hmm. him that i always felt like this was a man who even from relatively early on who had like his immediate orbit under complete and total control like everything was there was nothing he did by accident i think canelo and 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 I think that's still the case. You know, you don't know much about his private life. He doesn't let much out. Uh, everything is very kind of tightly organized and very, very professional, which is what makes the whole clemetrol thing very strange, mm. because it just it, it it's it just feels like out of character. Um, but and I think that Oscar is just the antithesis of that, and that's just why I I just think I think Canelo was probably just. I agree with you. I I think it's being a bit cruel. Oscar has his issues and I don't think it's right to just keep kicking him over them. Um, But I just think he offends Canelo in in the way, like the way that Canelo approaches life and approaches business. I I think this is much as I just I just think Canelo is personally offended by Oscar uh, and and the way he does things. And that's why he keeps doing it. And I think he's kind of almost embarrassed that he was associated with him for so long and he's trying to distance himself from all of that so much. and i and i think that's a lot of what's going on there it feels cruel but but yeah he's clearly got some stuff to work out of his system still
0: yeah no that's that's good analysis i think i think you're right that that is a big part of what's uh, what's going into this um all right it is time for the tweet of the week My turn to pick it. Uh, By the way, when I gave it to Jim Cunningham a couple of weeks ago, uh, cousin Sal mentioned it on the Extra Points podcast that Jim had earned the honor of Showtime Boxing Podcast Tweet of the Week. So, I mean, that's just good marketing there by me, getting us mentioned on other podcasts. You you have to kiss up to the right people, Karen. (laughs) Uh, And that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to kiss up to the so-called First Lady of Boxing, Rosie Perez. Um, It's not so much that it's a great tweet, But it's a tweet that spoke to me and that led me down an interesting path Uh, i saw a tweet on saturday from rosie perez at rosie perez brooklyn that was a quote retweet where her part said thanks so much fingers crossed i stay awake long enough hashtag ruiz areola Mm -hmm. i mean wow i'm feeling very seen rosie perez is out here tweeting about late night fights and struggling to stay awake Maybe she's washed just like me. It's all very comforting. Uh, But you know how when someone is, quote, retweeting, there might be a whole chain of tweets within the tweet. uh, So you follow that chain. The quote within the tweet was some sort of streaming network, Fight TV, telling her, Rosie, the fight is available on Fight in Spain. And I click on that, and I see it's a response to Rosie saying she's currently filming in Spain. She won't be able to watch. And she says, quote, card starts at 3 a.m. in Spain. So she's not washed and stricken with raskin narcolepsy <laughs> after all. She's just seven hours ahead of me and still thinking she might be able to stay up for the fights. So I felt seen initially. By the end of the journey, I felt unseen. Uh, but I'm still giving Rosie the tweet of the week because she has 128,000 followers. So it's just good marketing. Uh, Kieran comments on my Twitter journey of discovery or just on Rosie Perez in general.
1: Well, before uh, before it all took that uh, last minute swerve, there I okay. was going to say, even if she is washed, she's not washed, just like you, Eric.
0: <laughs> uh, right? Yes, I, I I get what you're saying, and uh, yeah, she there are certain ways in which uh, she is not washed and never will be washed, uh, whereas I very much am washed in the
1: in all of the, in all ways, really. And, and also, I'm very disappointed. I fully aware of the mockery that I was opening myself up to, did my Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. And I was hoping that you would be reading a (laughs) Rosie Perez tweet in a Rosie Perez voice.
0: Uh, No. Uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) I hadn't thought about it. That's definitely the kind of uh, vocal effort that you want to practice privately first and see if you're any good at I am not taking my first stab at a Rosie Perez impression while we are recording a podcast. Sorry.
1: Not daring to be great.
0: (laughs) No, I suppose not. I'm daring to be washed. That's what I, that's what I dare to be. All right. uh, Let's get to the news. And our main event is a story we touched on briefly last week because it seemed close to happening. Now it's officially on and love it or hate it. It's going to be a major mainstream sports event. Floyd Mayweather is boxing against Logan Paul on Sunday, June 6th at hard rock stadium in Miami and Showtime will be carrying the pay-per-view telecast. Dan Raphael reported on two undercard fights, a rematch between Jean Pascal and Badu Jack, and Jarrett Hurd versus Luis Arias. I'm sure we'll break those down a bit as the card nears. And we'll also have time to discuss the size difference between Paul and Mayweather, Floyd's age and layoff, the fact that this is an exhibition, and how competitive we think it will or won't be. Uh, But for now... I want to get your thoughts on it as an event, Kieran. Uh, Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor did about 4.3 million pay-per-view buys in 2017, the second highest sales figure ever. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones last year reportedly did 1.6 million. Jake Paul's fight against MMA fighter Ben Askren in April. Well, I don't trust the numbers Triller has shared at all, but clearly there was interest. So, Where do you see this sideshow-type fight fitting in among those other recent sideshow-type fights? And does putting this fight on the Sunday inflict financial damage on the Teofimo-Lopez fight with
1: Evander Holyfield on the
0: undercard the night before?
1: So to answer the last part of the question first, I don't think it does very much damage the Teofimo-Lopez fight. I don't think there's a lot of crossover. There, I think the kind of people who are going to order a Teofimo Lopez headline card are not necessarily the same who will put down fifty or seventy dollars or whatever for this nonsense. Um, there may be some impact, but it might also go the other way, right? There might be folks who would be intrigued by the idea of Mayweather-Paul somewhat, but only have so much money and are frankly more interested in putting their money into seeing someone who, as we talked about last week, could be in contention, could be in contention for pound-for-pound number one status in the not-too-distant future. Right. Um, and I think as we also discussed a few weeks back, um, these folks who are putting on, you know, in this case, Showtime, but also Triller and others, they're going to find, if they didn't know already, that there's a considerable difference between a Mike Tyson exhibition and an almost anybody else exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be interesting to see what happens if Oscar does come back, So we almost forget how immensely popular he was at his peak but that peak was 20 years ago um, and but the only other fighter i think who could continue to attract high numbers for exhibitions apart from mike is indeed floyd yep um and yes like you said we'll talk about it more nearer the time but he'll make the pitch that paul is is much younger and bigger than him um, and it may be that the same people who, A, thought Conor McGregor had a real chance against him, and B, thought that McGregor actually did well against him, who refused to accept that Floyd actually carried Conor for every second of that bout, will indeed tune in again and buy yeah. that hype. That's entirely possible. Um, it's also kind of interesting that Floyd may actually be the babyface of this promotion. Um, I thought about uh, that, yeah. Yeah, as increasing numbers of people just want to see the Paul brothers get punched <laughs> really hard in the face. Um that said, this is now Floyd's third circus show, right? There's the Conor McGregor one. There was the, the exhibition against the, the poor Japanese uh, kickboxer. Mm-hmm. And now this. There have to start being diminishing returns at some point. Um, you know, I feel like it would be a much, much bigger event where he fighting Jake Paul instead of Logan Paul, because Jake Paul has really taken this celebrity boxing thing and run with it and is an unquestioned heel. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's clear, I think, that Jake Paul is – from the comments he's made, he thinks that his brother's a bit stupid for taking this fight and that he's being quite more serious about the way that he's approaching this with very carefully selected – he's trying to make himself appear to be a real boxer. And he knows fully well, I suspect, Jake Paul, what would happen if he went in with Floyd. But I do think that were it Floyd against Jake Paul, this would be a big event, I think unquestionably because of what jake paul has done for his profile i don't think this will be as big against another brother who's already lost to a non-boxer um i guess it clears a million because freud seems to like you feel that freud eating cereal would clear a million <laughs> right. but i don't know at some point there will be diminishing returns i don't know if this is it i i'm i'm curious and the fact that it's on a sunday i don't know i'm curious i don't know that this is going to be as huge but also i think it's increasingly clear that i'm just not understanding a lot of what's going on right now and um with the thriller stuff and and the production and the paul brothers and all this other thing and it's possibly that i'm just getting a bit too old and washed to really understand this um and i'm completely wrong i it just feels like this in the grand scheme of things, might not be quite as big as some folks think it might, but I could be very, very wrong. So, a couple things
0: to comment on quickly. There, one is uh, I think Floyd eating cereal would probably outsell Floyd versus cornflake. Uh, yeah,
2: so very yeah. good <laughs> Thank on you. the Thank
0: fly. You. <laughs> very
1: impressed.
0: Yes, um, and the other thing I have to say is you drawing a distinction between the Paul brothers it it makes me reflect on how sad it is that we both apparently now know which Paul brother is which for the most part uh like with with the Klitschko's and the Charlo's early on that was something to strive for learning to to the (laughs) distinction between the two with the Paul's I don't know I think maybe it's a bad sign about my life and the state of the world that I can separate them in my mind and, uh, and that I'm now putting them in the same sentence as the Klitschko's and the Charlo's on a boxing podcast but here we are
1: Oh, yep, yeah, here we are indeed. I used to joke to myself how proud my dad would have been over the fact that quite regularly my job was to stand and watch young men with zero percent body fat stand up, get in their underwear, and stand on scales while everybody like cheered them on. <laughs> right. I thought that was a great career, you know, achievement. And now, well. That uh, looks like good times, <laughs> relatively speaking. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. And it's not over yet because we got more news items to come. Uh, and uh, uh, among those news items, another fight, possibly of the retired superstar, sideshow variety. Mike Tyson told TMZ that he will next be fighting a rematch with Lennox Lewis. Actually, this will be the first time he's fought Lennox Lewis. He fought Lennox. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. It's
2: not a rematch. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, He said that's happening in September. I have a very hard time believing that Lennox is into this. Um, And it's also tough to tell from the video of him quickly making that claim as he got into his car how serious he was. Uh, in decidedly more significant heavyweight news and completing the circle, bringing us back to the opening segment, the up and down drama surrounding Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua tilted downward for a while last week when Bob Aram told our friend Gareth A. Davis at the Telegraph that a summer fight is, quote, dead in the water, saying there are all sorts of details that can't be resolved in time and Fury and Joshua might need to face interim opponents and push this back. But Eddie Hearn insisting negotiations still going forward saying on saturday night that they just got a contract and nobody's pretending that it's not going to be in saudi arabia anymore right um that he's got a contract it's all going to get sorted this week and aram is just being aram which is entirely possible actually uh but well i'll repeat what i said two weeks ago next week we'll know (laughs) Um, See, Uh, other smaller news uh, Triller Fight Club and again and just here we are just Mike Tyson Triller Fight Club this is the new normal uh, Triller <laughs> Fight Club filed a hundred million dollar piracy lawsuit against sites that illegally streamed the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight uh, Jaime Munguia versus Maciej Zulecki is officially back on for June 19th Oscar Valdez is scheduled to make his first defense of the 130 pound title he won by knocking out Miguel Burchelt in either August or September against Robson Conceicao. and in Brockton Massachusetts good news to finish up on uh, a street will be named after the late marvelous marvin hagler uh, it's actually a street that's currently under this construction and this is the detail that i particularly love once finished it will be named marvin hagler drive and it will intersect with petronelli way named after goody and pat patronelli i love this news yep. uh lots to choose from anything you'd like to comment on there Well,
0: I'll start with Fury and Joshua and just remind everyone that a cornerstone of the Bob Arum experience is him (laughs) openly lying and then telling you afterward that he lied. So my gut is telling me, yes, there are a bunch of details that need to be worked out. Bob is basically using the media to get his message out and put pressure on Eddie and the Saudis and whoever to hurry up and get it done. Uh, If the $150 million site fee is real they're finding a way to make the fight happen yes. they are not risking one of them getting bumped off in an interim fight absolutely uh tyson and lewis i guess i might order that because it's a fight where i'll be guaranteed lennox isn't commentating oops <laughs> did i did i say Ow. that out loud sorry that wasn't me that was jim Bag who said that <laughs> um <laughs> regarding the triller suit uh hey Welcome to the world of pay-per-view, Triller. This is something boxing promoters and networks have been trying to address for 30 years since before there was an internet, when there were unscrambled cable boxes. I wish Triller luck, but they also had to know what they were getting themselves into with pay-per-view. And very cool about Marvin Hagler Drive. I'm jealous of anyone who is going to live on Marvin Hagler Drive. What could be better than telling someone your address and telling them, yeah, mail it to me at... Three One Five Marvin Hagler Drive. I, I wouldn't even give out my email address anymore. I would strictly ask people to snail mail me stuff so I can tell them I live on Marvin Hagler Drive.
1: And I would specifically want to live at the intersection of ha- Marvin Hagler Drive and <laughs> Petronelli Way. Yeah, I would specify that so I could say that to the cab. Yeah, oh, interesting. that would be my. Drop time. me,
0: drop me at the corner of Hagler and Petronelli. Right. So cool. I That'll do. All right. All right. We finish up the show with the podcast segment that is sweeping the nation, the top five list. And this week, it's a total sellout, but I think an interesting and worthy sellout. Showtime recently announced 13 fights across nine cards over five months. And on last week's show, Kieran, I tasked you with ranking your top five on the schedule, the five fights you're looking forward to most among the 13 options. Curious to hear your list
1: and see how closely it lines up with my own. So start the countdown. Certainly. Uh, coming in at number five is the second main event on the schedule, May 29th, Nordine Ubali against Nonito Donair. Um, I really first became aware of Ubali when he boxed Roshi Warren on the Pacquiao Brawner undercard. I don't think I was aware of him before that. Um, he boxed beautifully to take that unanimous decision. Win. He's, a, he's a terrific little boxer, Ubali, and he's got some pop, too. Um, but his boxing ability is, is his real strength. He's a solid guy, too, for a bantamweight. But the last bantamweight that Donaire faced was Noya Inoue. So he's unlikely to be especially stressed by whatever power and strength Ubali brings to the table. It's a very different kind of challenge for Nonito in terms of it being very different stylistically. Um and the thing about this fight, in a way, it has fewer major long term ramifications than a lot of others on my list, because one way or the other, Nonito probably isn't going to be around for much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really like it. Um, I, I liked it when it was first announced last year. Uh, obviously, it was postponed because of COVID. Uh, I think it's kind of unpredictable. Um, I could see that Obali could well outbox on or Nonito could just show the kind of veteran savvy. Um, that allowed him to, to do so well against way. Last time Donito Donao went into the ring, I was hoping he would trick up, trip up on the ring steps and not actually have to go through with the fight. I was worried about him. He lost that fight, but he reminded us of just what an exceptional boxer he is. This time around, I'm very curious to see what he can do against a, a really pretty decent young fighter i find this a very intriguing very interesting fight i'm, I'm greatly looking forward to this one as am
0: i uh, although i am very happy to report we will not have identical top five lists not not just uh not identical in terms of the order but even not the exact same five fights because this was my number six the one i thought okay. about including but didn't quite crack my top
1: five Okay. Uh, number four for me is the first fight in the series featuring the man we just spoke with, uh, Brandon Figueroa against Luis Neri. This is a very interesting fight, and it should also be an explosive fight. You've got mm-hmm. a guy who throws a million punches around – that's an actual total um, – against <laughs> someone with, with vicious power, um, but who's also you know, – he's been you know, controversial for his occasionally dilettante approach to weight limits and whatnot. Um, you who may – although this may be wishful thinking more than anything – not be quite the same force at 22 as he was at 118 – as we've discussed, as we have discussed with Brandon, as we've discussed before, the 122 pound division is lit. Um, and this is a very, very important fight in starting us getting some clarity in this division. Um, will it be the veterinary who goes forward um, or will it? And I'm sure that Al Heyman, Stephen Espinosa and many others are hoping that this is the case. Will it be the young, charismatic and let's not beat around the bush here, good looking Mexican-American who comes through with a victory? I'm fascinated by this fight in terms of its potential implications for one of the most exciting divisions in boxing but i also just think it's going to be a tremendous scrap yeah great pick i also
0: have it at number four on my personal list and uh i sure do hope that stylistically it plays out as brandon figueroa seems to be telling us it's going to play out uh, he, yeah. he is hyping this up as just a can't miss kind of war and i do think it
1: has that potential Uh, Number three for me is the one fight that's sort of not fully in place. It's the winner of the aforementioned fight against cool boy Steph Fulton in what is presently the final main event of the series. Everything I've already said about 122 pound division holds even more true for this one. Uh, Fulton is likely to be the favorite against whichever man emerges in a couple of weeks. But I've become such a rapid and total convert to the school of Stephen Fulton awesomeness um, <laughs> that I am genuinely interested in seeing him face uh, another real quality fighter who, who's perhaps ideally going to challenge him, stretch him, and also give him grow his profile, give him the opportunity to become better entrenched and appreciated. Um, ultimately, my fantasy is for the final stage of this 122-pound division to be a cross-promotional unification bout between the winner of this one and Murujan mm. Um But in the event that this that, that isn't makeable, this fight will absolutely do. And if we can then get Raissa in with a winner, yeah. so much the better. Well, it sure is a good thing we disagreed on number five
0: because I have the exact same number three as you. Yep, yep. I I had sort of the same thought that Neri Figueroa is outstanding and Fulton versus the winner of Neri Figueroa goes one slot above it.
1: Okay, I'm fairly certain that my number two is your number one and we might actually have them in exact reverse order. Uh, They were very hard for me to separate the top two. Um, For number two, I have gone with what I, I do think is your favorite, Jamel Charlo against Brian Castanio, um, it has the potential to be a real barn burner. I mean, Charlo's the class here, but Castanio, man, he, he's you know he's not a glamorous pick, but he's just relentless. Um, we've seen him drag Aris Landy Lara into a fire fight, and he just really beat the snot out of Patrick Teixeira for a lot of that their uh, fight between those two. I think Jamal might be the slightly better of the two Charlos, but Jamel is putting together at the moment, the better string of fights. Um, 144 has provided them with better opposition. And this is a really, really tough outing for him. Um, What's especially interesting about this, it's a real tough fight for both men. You know, Castanio is going to have to deal with with Charlo's strength and fundamentals. That Charlo jab is going to make it very, very hard for him to do what he likes to do, which is just come forward and kind of swarm his opponent, work him all over. And, and, and equally, Charlo's not going to be able to relax. And, and we've seen at times with Jamel, I think, that he can coast a little bit in fights and rely on the big punch to get him out of trouble. He was doing that even a little bit against Jason Rosario at times. He can't do that in this fight. Um, Castanio is going to just keep at him. This is a fight that is going to bring the best out of Jamal Jamal Charlo or show us uh, his limits or perhaps introduce the world to Brian Castanio. I think it's a rough, tough, brutal, demanding, exciting fight. I love it. Yeah, I,
0: I love it, too. It's a great fight. I can fully see why you thought it would be my number one, because I basically posed a question to Steven Espinoza a couple weeks ago that sort of indicated it was my favorite fight of, of the group. And then as I thought about them some more for this, I don't love this fight any less but uh it is my number two also
1: (laughs) and i'm guessing we
0: have the same number one (laughs) wow thank god for number five all (laughs) right
1: (laughs) okay so then all right so it isn't hard to figure out what the number one is and and it is it's the flagship of the schedule Mm -hmm. it is the pay-per-view headliner between Javante davis and mario barrios and what i especially like about this fight both guys are laying a lot on the line here barrios is a highly regarded much touted a talented and strong 140 pound contender. He's got the potential to develop into an excellent champion. He's every right to continue honing his craft against fellow contenders, building himself up until he's able to, you know, take on, you know, the the big fights in a position of strength. Um, I can't remember for sure if I picked him in our under-25 draft a while back, but he at least got an honorable mention from one or both of us. Um Davis, though, if I recall, was my number one pick after you stole Daniel Dubois from me. (laughs) And um, honestly, he's done nothing inside the ring to dissuade me of the merits of that choice. But he's short and stocky, even for 130 and 135. And Barrios is tall and strong at 140. Um, You know, and Davis has all these kinds of mega matchups with the likes of Garcia and Haney and lopez potentially to look forward to. And while boxing politics mean among other issues, among other issues seem like to defer those for a while, Tank's really putting himself at risk here. He's taking on this this good young, and again, one can overemphasize it's all 140 pounder with a very high upside. And that's the thing I most like about this fight. There's tremendous talent in both corners. It, it has a, it's a fascinating style matchup. It's very hard to see it being anything but a very exciting fight between two very highly skilled fighters but the thing that i do most like about it both men are taking a very considerable risk here um that's what i really like about this fight
0: Yeah, uh, agreed. It's just one of those fights that the more I think about it, the more intrigued I become, that I just don't know what it looks like and how it plays out at all, whereas I can kind of create a picture in my mind of what Charlo Castaño looks like, and it it looks like thrills, and it looks like it's competitive, and so nothing against Charlo Castaño, a very strong number two, but just the sort of mystery of Gervonta against Barrios uh, gets gets me all fired up. Um, So uh, do you want to... uh, uh, guess what what my number five was i feel like you should only give it one guess because we don't want to like go through a whole list and uh like, as i had sort of shown some concern last week we don't want to uh drag anything that doesn't quite make our list but if you want to give it one shot at a guess i'd be curious if you can uh pick out what my number five is
1: um let me try to think it has got to be huh, those five seem like they're fairly clear to me what am i missing it's not a main event is it it is not a main event it is ericsson lubin yes and and rosario isn't it yep that's my number
0: five i i I love that fight i'm dying to see how that one plays
1: yes i agree with you i think i think that's a very very entertaining fight yeah no i i did think about that it was i didn't deliberately limit myself to main events But they all kind of stood out. But that was Mm -hmm. the one that did make me think, hmm, that could be interesting. Yes. All right. Okay. Alrighty then. That will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks again to our guest, Brandon Figueroa. Uh, We will be back next week with a full preview of Brandon's fight against Luis Neri and the rest of that Showtime Championship Boxing card. Uh, We will have our Canelo Saunders post-fight analysis as well. Until then, thank you for listening. Be safe. Be kind. Be well.